Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, stocks jumping today, coming off a nine-week winning streak. And one top strategist says there is no expiration on this bull market run. He will explain why he says it is safe to buy. Plus, the Oracle of Omaha, Warren Buffett, speaking to CNBC today on a number of issues. But it's his Apple comments that Wall Street's focusing on. We will tell you what it could mean for the stock. But first, we start off with what looks like mission impossible for the market. The S&P 500 testing 2,800, clinging to what has been a key level for the index since the market highs back in September. It failed at 2,800 back in October, again in November, then for a third time at the beginning of December. And today we broke through it, but closed just below. So here we are again, same market, not too much has changed. So can the S&P 500 break through 2,800? Are we heading higher from here, Guy? (laughs) Look, Tom Cruise good, is up. Good tunes. Right? I mean, about time. Yeah. About time. About time of what? We had good tunes. No, a fair point by Tim Seymour. I appreciate it. Listen, I think we're going to roll over. I've thought that for a while now. I said last week that I thought the market was rolling over. Maybe it's just making a top. But I'll say this. I think if you had asked me yesterday after President Trump tweeted about his great relationship with President Xi and there's a deal to be done, if the S&P would close up three handles today, I would have said probably not given the environment we find ourselves in. That's exactly what happened. So maybe we've reached a point of diminishing margin returns in terms of what the president can tweet about, and maybe we are overextended. Tim will talk about the market being overboard on all types of metrics, and I think this is as good a level as any to call a top. Are you going to say RSI and all these? Well, I, guys has teed me up, so I have to do something now. I, I will say, do you feel comfortable owning the Dow or the S&P at a 76 nine-day RSI, which is a measure of how overbought or oversold we are? doesn't mean that that overbought condition can't dissipate relatively quickly, um, but look at the semiconductors, for example, as we've also monitored their recovery from really falling apart in June and leading much of the market move. Um, do you want to own the SMH somewhere north of 192, which is a level it's been running up into five times? And, and so the catalyst for the next move higher in the market, I, I would argue, is challenging, except for the fact that the Fed, every time we turn, gives us a new reason to try to define inflation and understand what dovish, dovishness could actually look like. Humphrey Hawkins tomorrow, something to watch. I actually think the Fed could disturb the markets a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I mean, listen, I've thought that this market has run a little too far too fast. While I've been bullish, I think there's time for a pause that refreshes the risks in the very short term. Federal Reserve Chair Powell talking tomorrow. We know in the past that sometimes he has said things that have upset the market. Whether it's on purpose or not, we don't know. But we've got a uh, a, two-day talk on the economy, uh, which could upset the market. Not only that, now you have potentially the sell the news event, right? We've priced in a lot of this deal. We've priced in a lot of the Fed cutting rates or or stopping the uh, balance sheet reduction. So 
everything to me seems to be priced into the market. I'd much rather be a buyer when it falls apart again, when Powell says we're going to raise rates, when the deal in China falls apart, because in my view, those things will be remedied. Take a breath, bro. Um, well, here's the deal. So this is all pretty symmetrical if you think about it. What happened on December 3rd, 4th, right after the G20, the president announced exactly. that sort of deal mm-hmm. with China um, in a tweet without any substance. And where were we at that point? We were at 2800 Where did we pause right now on a tweet last night that we really didn't get going on? 2800 So here we have some, obviously, some technical resistance. I'll just talk about, you know, you just mentioned a cyclical sector like the SMH, the semiconductors, and you'd like to see the sort of rebound that they've had in the broadening out of that sector. But, you know, David Rosenberg of Glufkin Chef tweeted this a couple uh, hours ago. He said, what kind of bull market do we have where we have utilities that are about to break out to a new all-time high, and we have transports, very cyclical, we'd like to see them lead, are still 9% off of their all-time high. So there seems to be a lot of cross-currents here, and I'm not so certain that just because we got back to a level where we were in early December, where people were very uncertain about what a trade deal looked like or the next round of tariffs, that that is a place where it's all clear to go in and buy. We saw a failed rally in financials today. I mean, we had financials mm-hmm. up by more than 1% at one point in the day, and they finished higher by four-tenths of a percent. So they seem to not have uh, the power right. to keep going. Right, throw the Russell on top of that, which I think closed either side of unchanged. And, you know, last night before these those Academy Awards, which I have watched Did on you? and off. For the for, fashion, for, though, for, for the, right? For, no, no doubt about it. For the, and for Brad Cooper, who, as I mentioned on Friday, watches Loves the show, show. religiously. Yeah, I'm sure. But prior to that, I was watching the World Series of Poker. It's like, guy, why, why do you even mention that? Yeah. Because yeah. everybody has a tell. Mm. And the market has tells. So we got to be consistent. Guess what was higher all day in a market that at one point today was up 200 Dow points? The volatility index, folks. And that closed significantly higher. Probably the biggest one-day move we've seen over the last six or seven weeks. I've said before, you know, up days when the VIX is higher, that might be pointed to something. Maybe we're starting to see a turn. To me, that was the most interesting thing that happened today. Was that a tell for you? I think, yeah, for the, for the very short term, when you see something like that, we're bouncing up against resistance, that's got to make you concerned. And to, to Guy's point, why not buy some puts in this situation? If you don't want to sell your stocks, nothing wrong with making hay when the sun shines. Protect that portfolio and wait for that downdraft. Now, in the long run, the things we have going for us, we have a president who wants to get reelected, whose uh, his report card is the stock market. we got a Federal Reserve that's talking about changing the way they look at the world, perhaps changing the way they look at monetary policy, that, in my view, would be very positive for stocks. So between those two things, in the long run, you should be okay. But in the very short term, since this is a trading show, I'd be very, very cautious. Well, you guys know what I hate. I hate the underperformance of AGA, which is the, you know, the, 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 the main part of MAGA. Well, no, Microsoft acts fine. It's the Apple, the Google, and the Amazon. They act horrible. They, they really do. They just cannot really get catchy. going. They have not broken out of their ranges. Amazon in particular. Google, at one point, was down in the day. So you take those three $800 billion market cap stocks... And I just don't believe that we are going to get back to the prior highs unless they get going. And they could lead to the downside. By the way, this is the same conversation we could have had for 100 points going back the last 500 points. So at every level, there's been a key level. It's been Mm -hmm. so obvious. It's Mm -hmm. been so easy to say. There's nothing left in the tank. Uh, and I think positioning continues to be to the upside. I so think you're the a reluctant tra- bull. Uh, I, I, yes. I mean, I think the bottom line here is that if you think about where expectations have had to reassess very quickly, uh, some of the things that let us down, and, and we were outperforming in the U.S. for a long time versus the rest of the world, the rest of the world has a way to go. Uh, and I think that actually could be supportive. I don't think the, the S&P is going to get away from you in the upside, but the expectation that we're about to go into another vortex, um, I think, is what a lot of people think. 
And I don't see it well, happening. I want to make one quick point. So we just said the last time the S&P was at 2,800 when we had a lot of uncertainty about trade. Well, think about where S&P earnings have actually come down. And I'm, this is to make your point. Expectations are far, far lower now than they were on December 3rd. And that's actually a bullish thing for a setup right now if you think right. that there's a bunch more clarity to happen on all these issues that you perceive as headwinds. So to me, that is a bullish thing because expectations were much higher. S&P earnings expectations for 2019 <laughs> on December 3rd sat far higher than they did for Growth. But still, the underperformance of AGA, as you like to put yeah, it, outweighs all of that that other stuff on the bullish side yeah, of the Yeah, because look, we can pull up the Nasdaq chart. Here, look, 7,600. It's a huge level here. So we've had this amazing breadth of a lot of names that are not these mega cap names. Look at where that's stalling out, right back to those levels back in October. So we know that the mega cap tech, uh, you know, infrastructure, whatever you want to call it, has really underperformed the broad market. So if we don't have this group start to broad out, the mega caps, you're not going to get to new highs. But I I could take at least two of the A's out of AGA and be left with maybe one stock I'd be worried about would be good. Apple, I can easily explain what's going on. We, we know what's going on with Apple. I don't think it's systemic of the overall tech sector. I think it's a company that's having trouble growing their top line after years of doing it. People are questioning uh, iPhone shipments. People are questioning whether people are going to pay higher ASPs. I won't get into the Apple story yet because I bet we can get into that later. I will say that I think I'm not so worried that AGA or MAGA are not taking us higher because I think at this point the good news is that industrials have actually traded very well. Things that have been cheap that are more cyclical. But, but Tim, we're talking about f- like those three names. We're talking about three $800 billion market cap stocks that have actually represented a good part of S&P earnings growth over the last few years. And they all have their own issues. We all know that you know Amazon has been missing on retail sales numbers and their costs have been going up. That's been disappointing. That's why Amazon can't get going. Um, you know, Google, the same thing. Costs are higher. Apple has a China problem. So there's no there's no crystal ball that says anytime soon with a trade deal that all that stuff gets fixed. Let's see if our next guest has a crystal ball. Mm. He says there's no expiration date on this bull market and it's safe to buy again. Let's bring in John Stolfes, the chief investment strategist at Oppenheimer. John, welcome back. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Why why are we destined to go higher at this point? We're not destined to go higher. And I didn't say it's safe to come back in. I said right now it looks like everybody's gotten over all the stuff that freaked them out in the fourth quarter, which was essentially the price of oil, uh-huh. uh, the Fed, uh, uh, the expectations that a deal would fall apart with China, that we were going into a recession. Those things seem to be off the table. But what we do say right now where we're standing, we think a lot of the, the uh, settlement of the Chinese deal has been discounted in, into the market. That's been priced in. But we may be surprised to find that the large caps, particularly the multinationals, which have been lagging the smalls and the mids, they may have some more room to move uh, coming up when we get a deal. We think, we think the administration will get a deal. It'll be parallel to NAFTA. Mm-hmm. Everybody will say it's not a heck of a lot of different what we had before. But it'll be progress in the right direction, the old progress, not perfection kind of thing. So you say that a lot of the deal has been priced into the markets, but yet you say that uh, that there is underperformance in the large caps that yeah. could spring to life once a deal. Well, yes. You're saying that large caps have underperformed they so have. far this year in this rally. And they, what pockets they, of large they, caps are we talking uh, they, about? They have underperformed, particularly the leadership has changed in, in large caps. For example, industrials, which is one of our favorite sectors for last two years, uh, as is the number one sector. Energy has suddenly, you know, mm-hmm. come up in leadership right. from the bottom. You've got information technology, which everybody had given up on, third best performer year to date. Then you have real estate. All of a sudden, the, that's coming back. 
So the environment doesn't look particularly frothy. It, if anything, it looks like rotation and rebalancing are alive. But the area that is underperforming, when you consider consumer discretionary uh, and uh, uh, areas of, of, the, of the media, uh, some items in here within consumer staples, materials, there might be a lift there. With materials, we'd expect once you get a deal with China, it could look for materials like it did in the first quarter of 2003, when everybody realized that, hey, China had an order book, and they were buying chemicals and all kinds of materials to get going again. Because we think we're going to get with a deal with China, we get a re-rating of the global economy. Right now, you have a negative overhang expectations uh, that uh, the protracted trade war not only hurting outside the U.S., but it'll hurt the U.S. too. So I'm curious, the things that we are worried about, yep. Fed, oil, trade deal, yep. of those going forward in the long run, yep. which, what should investors look for? Should we ignore any trade deals or any trade skirmishes? Is the Fed most important? Is it oil? What, what do you look at? Uh, I, I think, for one thing, just, just, just the obvious problem is always the Fed in, in that we've got, we've got a, a, a new Fed chair a year later, okay? So he's been in for 12 months, but the obvious thing is he's not the communicator that uh, Janet Yellen and that Ben Bernanke were. They were masterful in that area. So there's room for a mistaken uh, uh, appreciation of what that Fed chair is saying. You've got Janet Yellen says he's doing a pretty good job. So you've, you've had that event when, when both Yellen and Bernanke were on TV with him, and they were sort of, in, uh, I would say they endorsed him, but they were telling the market this guy's okay. But the market never trusts the Fed. They never trusted Bernanke. They never trusted Yellen. But to a much greater degree, they did at least have a, a calmer approach than they have had with Powell. You'd think it was Greenspan again, the way they treated Powell in that, in that fourth quarter. Uh, the, the next thing would be with, related to the China deal. China has, uh, for, for the president of China, it's all about 2025. And a protracted trade war is going to hurt made in China 2025. He needs his best customer playing in here. And for Donald Trump, it is 2020. So the likelihood of this deal falling apart, I think a re it's a relatively small chance. Always exists. You know, we could always get hit by a cab when we cross the street here. Wow. But the chances <laughs> are we're going to make it home. Knocking on glass, right? So Knocking on glass. thought about that. Yeah. All right. John, thanks for coming by. Thanks Get home safely. Me. Thank you. Guy, <laughs> how are you that, feeling about that, hitting the streets that, tonight? That, that I'm really fun because there's a walking, there's like a walking pedestrian, pedestrian way. way here in New York City where we've become very European over the last five or six years. So the chances of me being hit by a cab on my way home are probably slim. That being said, I'm not nearly as uh, optimistic in terms of a deal getting done. I, I understand that it's been hard for the Chinese, but their markets come back in a significant way now over the last six weeks or so. And I don't understand why they would be in a rush to do a deal with us when there's so much uncertainty here in this administration. I think we're just going to get strung along for the foreseeable Because they future. haven't given anything up. I mean, the way I look at this deal, this is not a deal They're that stops... They're just buying more stuff at this let's, point. Let's, I mean, let's, that's it. Let's yeah. buy some more farm equipment to solve the problem for intellectual property. This doesn't change made in 20 China 2025. And so um, I, I think China, first of all, if you look at January, you had record credit expansion. The rest of the world may not want to hear that, but that's good news for commodities. John John pointed out the parts of the market that I think can continue to run, those that have run. Look at energy prices. Fundamentals in energy are better, not because oil's at 60 bucks, but because companies are running at higher free cash flow rates, uh, and I think they're actually giving themselves an ability to make money again. 
All right, coming up, Warren Buffett talking all things Apple on CNBC, saying he cannot imagine selling a stake, but Wall Street's doing something that could signal the stock's best days are behind it. We've got the details. Plus, the biotech boom is uh, on in 2019 as the entire group is surging, but the chartmaster says he sees trouble ahead. He'll explain what has him pressing the sell button. And later, check out Neo, the self-proclaimed Tesla killer surging double digits, adding to its run this year. We'll tell you what his investors are so excited. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. There are stocks that I would buy that we own nine and a fraction percent. And I actually may be selling a little bit because they're repurchasing their shares and I don't want to drift over 10%. Uh, uh, But uh, Apple, I don't see myself selling. The the lower it goes, the, the better I like it, obviously. That was the Oracle of Omaha. Warren Buffett talking to CNBC's Becky Quick earlier this morning about his Apple shares. Buffett, who bought a stake in Apple back in 2016, says he's not selling or buying Apple at current levels. And Wall Street seems to be split on the stock at this point. Nearly half of analysts call it a buy. The other half have a hold rating. Only one analyst on the street's got a sell rating. The stock is trading less than $5 from the average target. Um, despite the split, even the bullish analysts starting to sound like Apple skeptics. In a note today, KeyBank's Andy Hargraves called its plan for a streaming video service uh, uninspiring. So Buffett is waiting for a sell-off to add uh, to his position. Wall Street seems to be turning sour on the stock. Is it a sign its best days are behind it? What do you think, Tim? I think we've had this moment with Apple for many times. I, I would be reluctant to say its best days are behind it. I, I think the days of the iPhone, first of all, uh, the, the shorter period of the refresh cycle, the ability to actually have uh, a lot of uh, you know, subsidies on the iPhone. But I think that the services business is exciting. And, and it may not be as sexy, but I do think it's a multiple that is, is what you need to now attach to the stock. So therefore, people that were tired when Apple's trading 12, 13 times ex-cash, uh, you know, I think this is a stock that should be trading 15, 16 times. So, um, no, I don't think the best days are behind it. So the problem you have with Apple, though, the challenge they have is their services have been relatively uninspiring. They haven't really been able to make any acquisitions that were blockbusters. I remember Beats, how it was supposed to change the music industry. I, I, I completely forgot that they even existed until today. So the challenge Apple has with the street is convincing them that the next refresh cycle is going to be great because that's really all this company is. You can talk about the services. That's great. But if you lose confidence in that it comes back to the refresh cycle and right now it doesn't seem like people are that excited about it i would like to quote a wedbush note from last week wedbush saying we believe behind the secret walls of cupertino for the first time in the modern iphone era the company is struggling to find the answer to turn this narrative around that's what it seems to be grappling with right now. Yeah, it well, wants to be a service company. It's not a service. I mean, yeah. the percentage tells so think us think about this not. way. If they're elongating refresh cycles, that means they're going to have lower hardware revenue because we know that iPhone makes up two-thirds of their total sales. So right now, you know, they have this opportunity to replace that revenue with higher margin services. And this goes back to what BK is saying. That's not something they're going to do over.
overnight. They've been a huge player in music. They wanted to be in video. They have not been able to be there. They have pay, but it doesn't kind of, it's not, it's just a rounding error. So the thing is, they're likely going to have to make some sort of big splash acquisition to have a very horizontal platform of services. And it's going to take a little while. And I just mentioned one point. You know, it's the first year since 2016 where sales and earnings are already expected to be down year over year, low single digits. That could be optimistic if, uh, if China does not pick back up. And in terms of China, now I, I read that Apple's offering interest-free loans on yeah. iPhones in China. I mean, you wonder where that came from. Obviously, something they thought about. And to Dan's point, smartphone sales, I think, were down 3% year over year. Revenues were higher because selling prices are higher. But you wonder how long that will last as well. So is its best days behind it? No. But I think when Mr. Buffett said he's not buying, he's not selling here, stands the reason that we're smack in the middle of a range. And I do think that if the market rolls over, there's a very good chance that Apple does as well. All right. For more on Apple and all things Warren Buffett, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Neo is in overdrive after the CEO says he's selling more than just an electric car. We'll tell you what he said that has Wall Street so excited about the stock. Plus, several beaten down stocks are making a big comeback. Could these names trading back in double digits turn out to be dime deals? The traders weigh in. There's much more Fast Money right after this break. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Biotech stocks soaring today thanks to a $4 billion deal in the space. Roche set to acquire Spark Therapeutics, which soared a whopping 120% for its best day ever. This is a number of drug company executives head to Capitol Hill tomorrow to face the Senate Finance Committee on Drug Pricing, following in the footsteps of the big tech leaders who face government scrutiny. Biotech's on track for its best quarter since 2013, but could regulation out of D.C., which both parties support, derail this biotech Rally. So there's two components to this guy. Oh. Let's start off with the deal part of it. The so deal there's, there's, part. There's M&A in the space. M&A in is, the space. A lot of these stocks have done which, extraordinarily which well. Which theoretically would be great for the space overall. The and then you have side, on the flip side the clamp potentially of government regulation on pricing. So who wins that war? So what, what wins out there? Great question. I'm glad you asked it to me, Mel, because I believe that the bull case will stay intact. Now, as the headline risk is significant, but you know what? The science is too compelling for these stocks, in my opinion, to have a significant turn to the downside. We did a power pitch a month or so ago. Or fast in a pitch. Com- exactly. In a company called Sarepta, which Dan yelled at me about when it was $90 or 93 Closed today at $143. No genius. It's See, just Dan. that in the space, there's a, the science in these companies works. And despite the fact that there's a bullseye on their back, I think they continue to go higher. 
Sarepta. It's a pretty odd comment to make, the science in these companies work. I mean, some no. do, some don't. No, some companies never comment. have any revenues, and they go out of business, and some get well, bought out for 100, 100% pipeline, premium. Right? I mean, it's isn't it really about the, you know, what is left in the pipeline and what is there? If you look at the IBB over the last five years, and these are supposed to be high-growth companies, you've annualized it under 5%, folks. Mm. And I'm not cherry-picking numbers. I'm just saying the last five years. And, and now, if you look at the last two years on that chart, it's a pretty good-looking chart, and it's been growing slowly. But um, despite being bullish on a lot of these names because their balance sheets are great and their valuations are cheap, I have to say it's frustrating. I don't see the I don't see You're the breakout. You're talking about the large yeah. ones like a Celgene. Yeah, Gilead, Celgene, exactly. Yeah. See, I like the smaller ones. I'm, I'm not as smart as Dan. I'm not as smart as Guy by any means. Yes. So for me, I've got to look. IBB, which is the NASDAQ biotech, that tends to have the smaller ones in them. Here's my thesis on it. If you can't raise prices, you still have to grow. So how do you grow? It's the M&A. So I think the M&A wins out in all of these. You want to be in the smaller ones. The breakout today above that consolidation range gives you a nice risk-reward entry. When you take a look, Guy, at the moves that we've seen today on the back of this particular deal, the Bluebirds, the Biomarins, um, all of those. What do you say? The Bluebird was obviously a story a couple, year, year and a half yeah. ago when we saw all those CAR-T companies being bought. What do I say? I say I still think there's room to the upside. I understand people say valuations are crazy, and for some of these companies, they don't have revenues, but the science is behind it. Dan makes a good point. Not all companies are created equal. I get that. But a company like Amgen, for example, on the other side of the equation, very reasonable valuation, tremendous balance sheet, company that seemed, for whatever reason, can't get over $195, $200, but I still think there's room to the upside on that as well. Well, the biotech boom may be going strong for now, but our next guest says the charts are pointing to trouble for the group. Chart master Carter Worth's over at the plaza to break it all down. Hey, Carter. Right, a little just too far too fast. Some of the things you all were talking about is other areas of the market. This one is perhaps the most too far too fast. So the thinking is here, trim your longs, write calls, take some action before, as they say, someone does it for you. Um, Percentage change from the low on December 4th. XBI, the equal weighted bias towards small cap up the most at 37. The IBB, cap weighted towards Celgene, uh, Biogen, and so forth, up 26. There's the market up 20. And of course, healthcare, which is dominated by the big heavy pharmaceuticals, up the least. Obviously, the lowest beta of this group. So let's zero in on uh, biotech in particular. And uh, the real problem is, and uh, Tim, you referred to this. There's just been really poor relative performance for quite some time. Here's the absolute chart. To me, what I see is just something that's stuck at prior highs. Now, if we put in some relative performance, this is the real issue. If I were to draw a line, there was alpha coming off the low. Yes, but what's happened since this is that basically, after the initial spurt, you've got relative underperformance compared even as you've basically trended higher. And this is important. I haven't compared it to the S&P. I've compared it to the XLV, which is its broad sector. So IBB not delivering um, for the past basically six, seven weeks. And speaking of not delivering, here then is a relative chart, same chart. And let's pull this back and watch the following. Here then is the performance. The peak actually was almost five years ago. And basically what we've had is this, nothing but underperformance. Now another way to draw these lines would be as follows. Take it all away and put it in this way. We are nowhere near our lows. We've held, we're above. But look what's happened here. We're making new relative lows to the sector, meaning if one has been overweight or is looking to get overweight, this, there's nothing right now that suggests that they ever escape from the weighting in the big heavy names. 
Individual names, sure. You get one bought out, you win. Come on over, Carter. <clears throat> Shelby will bring the chair in. Look at this. Now, Thank you, see, I brought my own gummies. Carter, this is not the cannabis segment. They're just regular gummies, I, by the way. I mean, I, mean, but nice... I could have more for... Okay, back to the charts. <laughs> gummies aside, how does the XBI look compared to the well, So IBB? if you look at that long-term chart, the last one that I had there, uh, the XBI, which also peaked in 15, went back and approached those highs again, and it has something of a double top. Obviously, it's been, it's been the small cap. That has, uh, if you're going to be in that area, the market has been the winner, because the big ones, they have the problem of size, of innovation, of uh, return on capital that's just not there compared to getting the number one performing stock, bar none, is LOXO Oncology. Right? It was Locked it was so. ten right. It was ten dollars mm-hmm. five years ago. It just got bought out for two hundred and thirty-five. Right? Number one performing stock in any any index. Um, that's the dream when you're investing in biotech, finding that like today there was uh, a news item or two, yes? Yeah, um, 2,800, we failed at it once again, so what does that portend? I mean, we're just, we're stuck, you know, the market is, I mean, here's the thing, I think there's a lot of assigning of import to the rally over the past two months, January, February. I would call it a panic, we have a panic in, just as we had a panic out. We panicked in November, December, we have a panic back in, leaving the market back at the point at which, eh, Carter, er, earlier in the show, Tim made a good point. We could have said this about 2,600, 2,700. Now we here are at 2,800. What's it take to get above 2,930, which was the prior highs? What would you need to see what to, to start to participate? It, it takes one thing. I mean, I, I think it's quite certain. It's not going to be achieved in principle by further ricochets, steep, uncorrected moves by cyclical names, industrials, financials. It would require the super cap names to participate. And as you know, Google and Microsoft... To some extent, Netflix. To some extent, Apple, Facebook. They're not coping. They're not. Uh, they're not uh, performing well. They would have to come to life. So it'd be the uh, combination of Fang and MAGA. Yeah, I mean, whatever acronym you. you no, we we use MAGA here. We use MAGA here. Yeah. Then MAGA it is. You use MAGA here. Dan uses MAGA yeah. here. Let me ask Carter one question. If we didn't go buy yet, did we? No, I haven't. Boeing, which was a sub three hundred dollars stock on December twenty first, traded four hundred twenty nine dollars or so today. People saying, you know, the trade deal is not priced in. I look at Boeing, which is probably the poster child for it, and say, if it's not priced in, what is priced in? I'm with you on that. Meaning, uh, there are a lot of securities that have moved up to such an extent that if indeed there is some news, it might just be a classic. Uh, buy the news, you know, sell, sell the news once, once the appreciation is already cooked in. I think it's is that what that chart in. looks like to you? Uh, which the chart Boeing did you chart? Have? Uh, Boeing, yes. Boeing has a gap. It gapped out of the range it was in. Caterpillar is trying to catch up. The better trade away is Caterpillar here, playing mm. catch up. I'd pair them. I'd be short Boeing and long cat. Mm. Oh. Hmm? Carter, thank you. Thanks. Carter Braxton Worth. Coming up, Tesla rival Neo soaring today and racing laps around the electric uh, automaker this year. What has investors so excited about this stock? We will explain. Plus, don't call it a comeback. General Electric and a number of once left for dead stocks showing signs of life and passing a key technical level. We've got the details. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. A handful of once left for dead stocks making a major comeback this year and passing a key level. Our very own Dom Chu is back at headquarters with more. Hi, Dom. Well, Melissa, call them the imperfect tens or the not even close to perfect tens for that matter. Stocks that have really had their issues, they've fallen, but they're on the rise again. Take General Electric, the stock of the day in the S&P 500 after it said it would sell its biopharma healthcare unit for to Danaher for around $21 billion. GE 
is going to use that money to pay down debt, right-size its balance sheet. After hitting an intraday low of $6.66 on December 11th, it's rallied back strongly to a double-digit share price. How about Snapchat parent company Snap Inc.? It's below five bucks a share on December 21st. That deep discount valuation got compelling for some traders. And with optimism building about the updated social media app for Android smartphone users, shares are back above 10 bucks again for the first time since September. And then you've got cosmetics and perfume company Cody, which fell below six bucks uh, the day after Christmas. It was helped along by an offer by the biggest shareholder, JAB Holdings, to boost its stake after a steep share decline. It's up to back around 11 bucks a share. Now, each of these stocks has had massive percentage gains from ultra-depressed levels. So, do they still have anything left in the tank? One other stock, by the way, we're going to keep a close eye on is Ford Motor. Melissa, it's been sub 10 bucks since last summer with questions about what it'll take to get investors excited about this iconic American brand again. Those shares still around nine bucks right now. Back over to you. All right. Thanks, Tom. Dom Chu at headquarters. So do any of these names look like perfect tens? We thought we'd play Guy's favorite game. Mm. Trade it or fade it. That's right. Let's go through these names. Guy, we'll start with you. Oh, GE is today's darling, but what do you do? Fade it, Mel. And I'm Whoa. playing the game correct. They're coming right out. They throw the graphic up there, fade it. And, and, you know, good for Tim, by the way. Good for Steve Grosso. And good for Dan Nathan, who had a bullish options play on General Electric a while back. I have to point that out. That being said, big volume day today. Yes, they sold that healthcare business probably for a lot more than they thought they were going to get for it. But what is left? Yes, they're delevering, still have a long way to go in terms of the balance sheet. Now you're left with a power business that they can't figure out. And if they can't figure it out, how am I going to figure it out? So great run off the low. Problems still exist. I would fade it. But, but I, So I'm, I'm going to trade this, which means I'm going to buy it. So let's get a green one. Bells will ring. It's going to be exciting. Come on. Come there on. It there it is. There Look, what's happening here is there's progress moving faster. So Guy talked about the power business. I realize the power business is a big issue. But the good news is that they realize it's a big issue. They were cutting deals for three to five years that were lost losing deals. They're changing that mentality. They've got an order book that can probably work through in a couple of years. I actually think that some of the parts now looks significantly better based upon this deal today. I think the energy assets are undervalued. They've also gotten rid, rid of a lot of liabilities with this sale. They which sure have, really which is, which is more right, than But then the question is, then what are you going to do? So it, go back, it goes back to Guy's point. Like, great, you've, you've t- taken the a company from the abyss. Now you've reduced your liabilities. You sold off some parts that arguably are probably one of the more valuable parts. Now what are you left with? I just think there's better ways to play any of these themes in here. You've had a tremendous rally. That's fantastic. Take your profits and fade it. Nice. I like. See, I did it right at the end there. Yeah. Sneaky. It's like a Let's culmination. Yep. Okay. Sneaky. All right. Dan's up next. Snap getting a boost on its anticipated Android app launch. So trade it or fade it, Dan. Well, here's the thing. This stock had a massive gap. I'm going to trade this one. I think it's got tremendous momentum. I think sentiment is really bad. It's not only investors that have hated it, but analysts have hated it. We know that there's a lot of similar sort of names that are going to be coming public, too. And I think that's something that normally you would say, oh, that's not going to be great for these guys, that, that you may investors may need to make rooms for some of these names. Um, but I think this is such a unique social property. They really haven't found out where, what their niche is. And they may find what that is on Android's install base of two. 200 billion users globally. So to me, I think the stock has tremendous momentum. I think that if you saw this company start to kind of accelerate their revenue growth and then decrease their losses, then this stock is uh, uh, it should be a lot more valuable. Yeah, opinion. I'm a trader of it too. That means I'm a buyer of it, even though it's confusing the most people. I think they actually have a window of opportunity here. One of their big
biggest competitors, Facebook, is distracted with a lot of other things. They're trying to combine platforms. They're distracted with privacy issues. Snap has a chance. It's a small chance, but they have a chance to get, grab some market share. Maybe this Android thing will help them out. So you trade it here. So, so you don't like GE, but you're going to grab a company whose user engagement has been stumbling. And the fact that these guys just What's announced GE's some stabilization, a unique platform, <laughs> a unique platform that no one wants to use. I mean, there's what no growth here. About? Look, the bottom line is the reason the stock is rallied is because there's 15% short interest in it. Um, and Instagram's eating their lunch. I am fading this thing. Bye-bye. If, if I look at the two companies, which one, what industry do you want to be in? One that's disruptive, that kids are using, the millennials using, or the general of electric that not even your grandfather uses anymore? It's turned into a would-you-rather, Mel. Well, I yeah. didn't think that we'd have a fight over Snap. No. no. Funny how this show, you never know when you're going to get on the fast You never money. know. It's like a box of chocolates. Fantastic. Tim. Cody, yes. it's a beauty stock, but is it a beautiful stock? Look, we all know I love beauty stocks. Um, I'm fading this one, though. Uh, the bottom line is this takeout or this deal by JD is, is they're the only buyer of this stock right now to me, and they're not going to take it out entirely. In fact, there's covenants in the debt deal that they did that means they can't own more than 75%. So I don't think that the, now, they are now the buyer of last resort. Again, the global story here is one I think these guys got ahead of themselves. I think you take the money and run and you fade it. All right, let's stick with one of those $10 stocks, General Electric. Mm. What'd you call it? The General of the General Electric. Electric, yeah. Uh, despite the rally, the options market is betting this stock has come too far too fast. So, Dan, what's the options action here? Yeah, so it was just one trade in particular we're going to talk about. But options action, generally in the name today, was two and a half times average daily volume. Calls that numbered puts almost two to one. But there was one trade shortly afternoon uh, when the stock was trading at 11.07. There was a buyer of 10,000 of the August 11 puts, paying $1.10 for those. Those break even down at 9.90, down about 10% from the trading price. And I just I think it's interesting to see that sort of price action on a day where this stock gapped up. I think pre-market was trading close to $12, closed basically on the low of the day. And you see some put buying. That could be some protection for somebody who bought this stock in the hole there. Look at that. That's the one-year chart. Look where the stock failed, right below that breakdown level from the fall. And then we have a five-year log chart, and I think this is really interesting. Look at the downtrend that we've seen over the last couple of years. It also failed right there. So when you're thinking about kind of how to lock in some gains if you're long the stock, um, some of those technical levels are pretty interesting ways to do it. We don't have Carter Worth on here just because he's such a great-looking guy all the time, but because he identifies some good levels, as we like to say, yeah, yeah. truth. Yeah. Speaking truth yeah. on both those things. Yeah. We learned more than we um, For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, NeoShare soaring as a self-proclaimed Tesla killer. Was featured on 60 Minutes last night. We'll tell you what the CEO said that's got investors so excited. Plus, Shake Shack seeing a big reversal after hours. That stock is now down around 2%. We'll bring you the very latest when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a little fast take where we break down the stories making waves on Wall Street. Electric vehicle maker and self-proclaimed Tesla killer, Neo, featured on 60 Minutes last night, where the founder and CEO referred to his company as, quote, the ticket to a new lifestyle and showed off the lavish perks that come with the brand, those perks ranging from access to an exclusive social network for Neo drivers and private clubs. Neo shares soaring off that interview up 10% today to its highest level since shortly after its September IPO. And the stock is up around 40% this year, handily beating Tesla, which is down around 10%. Tim. Well, I think Neo is certainly, it's an interesting story. There's absolutely competition. We knew that. I, I don't think they are really short-term competition for Tesla. In fact, uh, Tesla's competition is itself right now, but we 
I'll save that for another segment. Uh, bottom line, Nia is expected to, they say they're going to do 40, 45,000 cars this year. Uh, I think the big key is their second generation battery, which is supposed to come out in the third or possibly early fourth quarter. And these are going to be the signs that this is a real credible competitor to the Tesla uh, mystique, because it's really what I think this is. And I think at this valuation, I don't think this company's terribly interesting either. Uh, but I do think it tells you there's competition. You know, this one had a $9 billion market cap, and they only sold 10,000 cars last year. In a right. massive, massive market, though, is really a call on electric vehicles in China. Because think about it, if you watch that 60 Minutes bit, they're telling you that their Tesla killer, their, their SUV, is $60,000 versus, say, $100,000, $120,000 for the Model X that has to be shipped there and has a lot of tax on it. So to me, you know, the, the addressable market is massive. There's massive incentives from the government for this to work in China. Um, I'd rather take a flyer on NIO than this one. This stock has been in a tight range between six and eight for five months since its IPO after its initial pop. It just broke out today. I think you know where your stop is. It's $8 to the downside. Is, is this like Tesla, I don't know, eight years ago? I don't think it's a Tesla killer. It is a, it's a compliment to it. I mean, in that story, the, even the CEO admitted, said, listen, Tesla's the aspirational brand. Not everybody can afford that. I'm going to hit this market. It's a huge market. They can both exist together. And I, I, I do view this, I think Dan's 100% right. It is a call option. Size it appropriately. If they get it right, you've got a call option on the EV market in China. That's pretty big. And that's what probably people said about the Tesla investment years ago, right, in this market. Tesla, if they can produce those cars, it's a call option on the electric electric mm-hmm. vehicle market in the United States. Same thing there. They still ran up against, can they produce those cars? Can they produce them, uh, you know, with a decent at a decent cost. Can they do it for 35? Can, can it, it be a mass market car? Can which, they tap the capital bar? I mean, the same questions will come up, no? Can the stock, can the stock double or triple in the in meantime? In the meantime, I mean, as I Tesla shares did, by BK, the way. BK, that was a, you put it in the drawer, the Tesla. Yeah, Tesla. Factory in a box. Yes, right. Well, right. In the drawer, but. but Tesla, Tesla is like a venture capital deal, and this probably is the same type of thing, right? You're making a long-term bet on a big change out there. I have some, I have quickly, you know, there was a great Clint Eastwood movie called Firefox, and he, he steals this Russian plane, but he had to think in Russian to make the missiles work, and if you watch that last night, you could make the little thing on the dashboard work, Avatar. but you had to speak in Chinese. It was a fascinating thing. It would be a miserable car for me. It wouldn't do a lot of good things, but for the driver and the passenger last night, it was fascinating. Firefox, by the way, great movie. Sounds Amazing. Love Clint. Never saw uh, that one. Still ahead, shares of Shake Shack lower after reporting earnings. This has been one of the hottest burger stocks of the year, so is it about to lose its crown? Plus, let's check out our Kramer cam. And there's Jim talking about the one thing that Warren Buffett needs to do to save craft as that stock falls off a cliff. Catch that at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Shake Shack. That stock is down about one and a half percent after hours. Our very own Kate Rogers is back at headquarters with more. Hey, Kate. Hi there, Melissa. Shake Shack reporting a very strong fourth quarter, beating on the top and bottom lines. Same store sales increased by 2.3 percent. That's a really big beat. Analysts were expecting a drop of more than one percent for the quarter. The company also announced it's opened its 200th location in Q4. That's an important milestone as it continues its rapid expansion. The stock initially got a 
pop on all of this news, but then started to fall on weaker than expected guidance for revenues for the full year and then also weaker than expected comp guidance. The company is saying in 2019, it sees its same store sales will be in a range from zero to one percent. It's also still planning to open between 36 and 40 new company operated shacks this year. CEO Randy Garuti talked about recently opening up the first mainland China Shake Shack, noting 2019 will be the largest year for new international openings that the company's had yet, including its first international office in Hong Kong. Shake Shack has had some struggles with labor and wage pressures, as well as some traffic woes during its expansion. So here's what CFO Tara Kamat had to say on the call. The significant headwinds around labor costs continue, with double-digit minimum wage increases in many of our markets, an incredibly competitive labor environment, and increasing levels of regulation across the country. Now, that being said, the stock is still up around 15% year-to-date. It's one of the best performers, Melissa, in the space. Back over to you. All right, Kate. Thank you, Kate Rogers. So here's where we stand when it comes to the burgers, restaurant brands, which mm-hmm. owns Burger King, up just under 20% this year. Red Robin up 15%. Shake Shack was up 15% as of the market closed. McDonald's falling behind up just 3%. What goes on at Red Robin? Uh, Red Robin Gourmet Burgers. Red Robin Gourmet Burgers. RRGB. Yeah. Anyway, BK. Yeah, well, I, yeah. Queen. But I got so, two words for you. Go I for it. Speak, chicken okay. bites. Chicken what bites. Excuse me? Bites. That's what they introduced, Shake Shack oh. this quarter. Mm. Chicken bites. And that same store yeah. sales. I it was, it was supposed to be that was supposed to be down one percent, was up two percent. That guidance lower for the year, that's like a godsend if you're like long this stock here, because now they're gonna be set up to beat these expectations. Chicken bites? Chicken bites, dude. Chick- Chick fil A, they're going I love Chick fil A. Yeah, but that's Chick-fil-A. something here's the point is there's so much competition out there. I mean, we put up four different publicly traded companies. What about all the other burger competition out there? They've got labor cost problems. They've got food inflation problems. I love Shake Shack. Love the product. Obviously. Don't like the stock. I worked Hi. at Shake Shack, as you recall. Yeah, they, they, they've right, overcome that somehow. They, they, over, they did I mean, overcome that. Despite you working there. Look, the stock's been in a downtrend now. Oddly enough, since about the summer of last year, about six months after I worked there, the stock <laughs> had a tremendous run. With that said, I'd rather buy it in a breakout above 55 and sort of defend this downtrend line that we're in than to buy it here. Operating, by the way, this labor, labor cost thing, that's a big, big deal. deal. That's yeah. going to cut into margins significantly, It folks. did. Yep. Up next, final trades. Final trade, Tim. EM is running. Try Mexico, EWW. Speakers. You know what? You buy insurance when you can, not when you have to. Buy S&P puts. Dan. Uh, yeah, NIO, I like it with an $8 style. Neo. E. Red Robin was Red Robin. Mm, that's it. That's yeah, yeah. Nobody cares. is still going higher there, Dan. Red Robin, thanks you for that free <laughs> yeah, commercial. Sure they do. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. <laughs> this podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.